Blog Talk Radio. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! I think I—I uh, I don't know if I know how to do this anymore. Ah, Tom Hayes here, folks. This is Tom Your house, or are you in uh, actual work? 
the house. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, actually trying doing some consulting as well as trying to wrap up doing the audio book version of the book and uh, trying to wrap up. Nice. I'll, I'll call it pre-production before I send it over to my audio engineer. So just trying to get that in line. It's, it's more work than I anticipated. I think most of this project has been, um, but you know, got to get it right. So. <laughs> Yeah, so why don't you talk about that a little bit, about uh, the, um, was there any self-discovery that you encountered along the way in writing the book? That's a good question, I would say. I, I think I kind of fell backwards into it where, like, I, I discovered a lot of stuff before I wrote it. So I'll give you, like, do you want me to give you a high-level overview as to like how I came up with the idea or where I came up with the content that's sort yeah, of thing. absolutely you know that's yeah just yeah you got the floor you got the phone you got the internet right now you can start okay. wherever you want cool sounds good so yeah I mean I had been struggling with anxiety since high school and I didn't really have a lot of strategies to deal with it so um it was probably like six or seven years into it I had you know, suffered a couple panic attacks, didn't really have any good methodologies um, for addressing anxiety, that sort of thing. I didn't even really know what I was dealing with. I was just kind of Googling stuff, trying to find answers and whatnot. But I felt like there wasn't a lot of information out there. I felt like there, most of the information was like, you know, take drugs, see psych- psychologists, see psychotherapists, that sort of thing. And Uh, I'm definitely not like drugs or anything like that. But at the same time, I think that, you know, our nation tends to overemphasize, like, you know, go see a doctor, he'll talk to you for 20 minutes, write you a a prescription, boom, you're out the door, you're taking drugs, that sort of thing. So um, that's never been my, I've never been that interested in that sort of thing. I don't, I don't necessarily know that it's like, incredibly helpful in the long run, you know, if it helps people in the short term, then awesome. Um, Whatever you need to do that sort of thing. But I've always kind of leaned more on like the, um, you know, medical free, drug free, that, that sort of thing, that philosophy. So I was trying to come up with my own strategies. I would say, you know, probably seven years into um, dealing with anxiety, I was, you know, seeing this one girl and this is kind of, you know, this is a kind of the framework of the book or a good portion of the book just to give readers an expectation as to, you know, how it's, how it's laid out. But um, I've seen this one girl just, just a few times, Um, I mean, the situation wasn't all that different from some of the other things that I had gone through in my life, but, um, you know, it was the one that resulted in me putting a lot of my strategies together. So that's why it's highlighted in the book. And, you know, I I had seen her a couple of times. She ended up going on a long vacation, you know, backpacking through Europe for a few months. And I was like, okay, like this is, you know, this is obviously got to be over because, you know, I'm not going to see her for three months. And, Um, we, you know, it didn't really go all that far. So, you know, kind of got to cut it off or whatever, but she kept texting me. I kept texting her and we stayed in touch and it's like, Oh, wow. You know, maybe we kind of like each other, that sort of thing. So, um, I would say that, you know, when it comes to anxiety, what one thing that I found is like the more time you have to get inside of your head and to overthink things, the more screwed you are. So it's like, if you have three months, you're in, you're in trouble unless you have a very disciplined mind. Whereas, kind of a a side note but one interesting story that one of my friends had told me one time was she was like she was like yeah I went skydiving one time and there's no way I ever would have done it unless it happened in the fashion it did and that was basically that her friends essentially kidnapped her brought her to a skydiving facility shoved her on the plane we're like we're jumping out so she was like I didn't have any time to get afraid of it 
She was like, if I had to book the appointment and I had to think it through and whatnot, I never would have done it. So, um, you know, with this situation with this girl that I was seeing, there was just way too much time. So, you know, a lot of time to get anxious, to think bad thoughts, think about things not working out and that sort of thing. So um, while she was away, I was just like, you know, was working for a client. It was a boring project. We didn't have much to do. So, you know, you jump into your head, you think negative thoughts, you think about outcomes you don't want to happen, that sort of thing. You get really anxious. So while she was away, I was like, okay, you know, this is something that I've been through before. It's scary. I don't like going through this, but at the same time, like, I can't really, I can't totally worry whether or not it's going to work out between us one way or another. I have to figure out, I have to come out of this situation with some strategies that are going to help me moving forward, you know, whether this works out or not. So I was at my client's office one day and I was so anxious this one day, just thinking about, you know, bad things happening and, um, you know, going out with her and having a panic attack, like has happened before in my life, that sort of thing. And uh, I just was like looking out at the, at the ocean in Boston and pulled up my phone, started writing down a bunch of different strategies um, that, you know, I, they were kind of, it was, this was kind of a subconscious process that are in my mind somewhere. Um, you know, maybe I had read them in different pieces of, uh, you know, books or articles or whatever over the years, but I kind of like synthesized all this information at, at the same time, wrote down all these strategies that I thought would be really helpful for me, like mitigating my anxiety in the moment. And then those strategies ended up becoming kind of the framework for the first half of the book, which is the 10 steps to getting out of your head. So just some real, some quick, like high level information on that is basically that, you know, my philosophy is that anxiety is a process of like the rational mind, which is like your, your thinking, your thought process being in conflict with your emotional mind, which is kind of like, quote unquote, like the animal brain and the place where these like anxious impulses um, and, you know, fears come from. And so as we're able to think better and be more disciplined and not give into the impulses of the animalistic mind, we have a better, you know, we have a better chance of uh, a better chance at escaping our anxiety. And so I, you know, I, I put these strategies together and I started using them myself and, you know, they were really helping me. And when, when you asked, you, you know, what was the process of self-discovery, that sort of thing, I would say so much of the self-discovery I came up with, you know, as I, as I was writing down this content and kind of just going through my own journey. Um, at this point, I didn't know I was going to write a book yet. Like I, I, I had said years before, I was like, I want to figure this out. I want to write a book eventually on it, how I, how I figured it out. But I, I, I wasn't totally sure that like, I didn't know for a fact I was going to do it just yet, or I didn't, I didn't know I had all the content yet. So I have all this content. I share it with a bunch of friends. A lot of people were like, Hey, these strategies are pretty good. They're helping me. They're useful, that sort of thing. And, um, and then eventually, you know, I realized how much content I had and I was like, Hey, you know, I did say I wanted to write a book on this thing. So eventually I just sat down and wrote that book and obviously it took, you know, a year, year and a half, but that was, that was the whole process there. So. So was there additional self-discovery? I mean, I, you know, I'm a, started writing myself and there's so many things you learn. I think, I think writing is one of the greatest tools, especially journaling to very therapeutic and uh, you start to open a pathway for something bigger than you to invite it to come in and teach you things about yourself. Did you find that along the way? It's a good question. I, I don't know. I mean, I've always written a lot, like you said, like journaling, that sort of thing. I've, I've journaled 
on and off throughout my life and try to stay introspective and whatnot. So in the process, I don't know if I discovered too much more about myself. Um, I feel like I, you know, I had kind of done a lot of that discovery already as I was putting those strategies and different tactics to paper before I even like 100% committed to writing the book. So, um, but I, I mean, I will say one thing is just that, you know, uh, I think I underestimated um, how, how challenging or how much work is involved in writing a book. So I, I sat down, I wrote the first draft in three months and I thought I was good to go. And then I re I reread the first draft and I was like, wow, this is so bad. And I ended up, I think <laughs> it took me a, a no, over, over a, another year from that point to get it onto Amazon. So a lot of editing, you know, I hired an editor and just really worked through it a lot. That was one thing that I discovered, but in terms of like personal development and whatnot, I think a lot of that happened before, before I sat down and started writing it. Well, I think you just gave me the answer, and I think maybe, you know, it might not be obvious to you, but it just, uh, it, whether you had it before or not, I think you found the strength to overcome the resistance that exists in trying to write, and that you plowed through where most people... I mean, I, I don't think I don't think it's maybe one or two percent of the people in who go through life. Almost everybody says at one point, "Oh, I'd like to write a book," and then only two percent do it. So, you know, again, you did it. That's huge. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, what's the book that you reference a lot? Is it Stephen Pressfield? Yeah, it's War, the War of Art. You know, if you, between you and where you want to go, there's such a thing as resistance, and it's real. It shows up in the form of lack of self-confidence, anxiety, uh, bad relationships, alcohol, drugs, procrastination, drama, all of the things, fear, all of the things that keep you from reaching that objective. And the only way to get to win is to go to war with it and every single day do something. So... The fact that you said you did journal, you already, you know, had an affinity towards expressing yourself or doing the research into finding out who you were by journaling and getting these things. You started to acquire, you know, the skill set to really do the tough part, which is, oh, my God, what did I do? I got this Pandora's box. I opened this this whole book thing, and now what? I got a mess in my hands. And it's not simply just, like you say, writing something and throwing it up on Amazon. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a process and there's certainly some days in that, in that writing process where you just don't want to go on at all. You're like, I think it's decent or I'm frust- I'm frustrated at the fact that it, you know, isn't moving along as quickly as it is. I know that um, when I went from writing the first draft to basically saying that it sucked and that I needed to rewrite it, I definitely got pretty frustrated in that second draft period, I had invested a lot in the first draft and that I was further along. And then I was going back and kind of realizing that it wasn't nearly as good as I thought it was and didn't necessarily need to rewrite the entire thing, but rewrote a lot of it. And that that's a frustrating process where you, you feel like you've invested a lot and that you almost have to, it's, it's part of the process. So it's not like you're wasting, you wasted that time or, or threw it away because that's part of, the journey of getting to the final product, but it is frustrating to 
to sit there and be like, wow, you know, I thought I already wrote this and, you know, and then you start resisting writing it again because you feel like you've already done that sort of thing. Yeah. And so that's exactly, I guess that's the answer I've been looking for is that you, by, by diving in, by taking the challenge, you know, by getting involved in the war, you start to pull on resources that you thought you might not possess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think part of part of that, too, is like knowing the balance between wanting it to be good, but not wanting it to be perfect. So what I mean by that is kind of, you know, that if you put a product out there and it's no good at all, that you probably will have blown your chances with your audience, right? Because they'll be like, well, I read it and it sucked, that sort of thing. Um, but at, so, you know, you want to take the time and make sure that it's a good product. But at the same time, I think some people... Um, you know, I've done this in my past as well is like you get so fixated on having a perfect product, iterate constantly. And then you eventually give up and you say, you know what, like this isn't perfect. So I'm, I'm done. Like I'm giving up on it. And that was one of the things I talked to one author, uh, I think it was in April and he was a super nice guy. You know, he was going kind of the traditional publishing route and was trying to get into bookstores. And, you know, he really spent a lot of time building his resume, writing for different, publications and stuff like that. So that way he had a little bit of a platform and he he had recommended that I do something similar because, you know, in the self-help world, it's like, if you don't have a platform or you're not kind of an authority, so to speak, like nobody's going to listen to you. And I, you know, I definitely appreciated the advice, but I knew that it was on the, I was looking at it on the other side of that balance scale was if I do that and I go and spend two to three years, he, you know, he was on like the fourth year of his project. And it was like, if I go and spend that much time, trying to do that in three years, I'll look back and say, I, you know, I, I gave it up. I did. I wasn't, you know, willing to put in three or four years. I moved on to something else. So it's, it's definitely a balance of, of knowing, you know, when, when to keep working and, and when to say, Hey, I'm, this is good to go. Exactly. You know, perfection. I've worked with tons of perfectionists and somebody quoted it once. Perfection is the enemy of done. <laughs> yep. Definitely. Sure is. You know, so, so, I mean, those are the things that you did learn. I mean, by, by taking on the challenge, by going to war, you found out that you had to pull from uh, reserves that you might not have even, you know, you, you, you faced battles along the way that probably were some of the most difficult battles you experienced, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, some of the mental battles of just dealing with anxiety and stuff like in the kind of the pre-work of writing the book. I mean, those, those were some serious ones, but yeah, I mean, getting the, getting the product on paper and actually getting it out there, that's a battle too. It's just a, just kind of a different type of one. Did you now? the problem I had, um, I guess I just don't, you know, what do you think the, the anxiety comes from? And I know there's tons of it in this society. I just don't happen to, have it i don't remember you know like and i'm trying to think of you know i had a major turning point in my life which was you know i had cancer at the age of 12 and lost my leg at just on my 13th around my 13th birthday and uh you know so i mean facing death and i didn't know i was at the time they kind of kept that from me right because that disease if a hundred kids got it, ninety-five died. But I, you know, had a major wow. shift in my life that uh, I had to re 
you know, the, one of the things I, I learned along the way is that I read something about blind people. When a person goes blind, they have to die as a person with sight in order to be born again as a person who's blind. And, you know, as I'm, you know, as I'm writing fiction now and I'm learning all about screenplays and good storytelling, it is essential. There has to be a death, many deaths along the way in, in uh, a good story. So I may have yeah. circled, but there wasn't much to get anxious about after losing a leg. <laughs> or, yeah, you know, yeah, the, the anxiety yeah. I had as a kid was very real. I lived in a, you know, predominantly uh, a white kid growing up in a predominantly black Roxbury. And, you know, every time I stepped out on the street with my white skin, I was a target. So I always had to be yep. extremely conscious and aware of danger all the time. So I'm, I, I, you know, in very real danger, not imagined dangers. <laughs> right. Definitely. So I don't. I had trouble connecting with the anxiety part. What do you think? Do, I mean, what's what? Do you, what is the incidence of people who are faced with what you're you're talking about? This anxiety. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, there's some stats in the book um, that are pretty good, but it's. It's, it's like somewhere, but I, th- I want to say it's like 18% of folks actively in America face are dealing with some sort of anxiety disorder. And then a higher number, maybe 31, I forget the exact percentages, um, but 31% of people uh, about, let's, let's just say for now it's in the book, um, deal with some sort of anxiety disorder over the course of their lives. So it's not every single person in America, but, you know, it's definitely a good amount of people, probably, you know, one out of every three people experiences something like that. And also there's, you know, there's just the day-to-day worries and fears that even if you don't suffer from anxiety now, I mean, obviously I'm the author, so I'm going to, I'm going to push the book when I can, but it's like, even if you don't suffer from anxiety, there's a lot of good, um, there's a lot of good takeaways just in terms of like using your mind and the power of it in the book that I think can be helpful just with, you know, everyday stuff. Um, But in terms of, you know, where does anxiety come from, that sort of thing. So I, you know, I talk about it in the book. It's basically like my take on it is that anxiety is, and I kind of alluded to this earlier in the, in the podcast, was that um, anxiety is kind of this like synergy between the animalistic mind and the conscious mind. And so for some of us, like, you know, our animalistic mind, which is like the limbic system where a lot of the emotions come from, um, you know, there, there are some folks that just don't have those anxious drives, like their, their amygdala is not as active and isn't as fear producing as some other brains. And that's, you know, I guess in terms of anatomy, like physically we, you know, some folks just don't have that wired into them as much, but there's also like the thought process and the, the amount of thinking that you do. So you could, you know, you could have a, an amygdala or a limbic system that is like very, very on alert all the time and is always causing you to, you know, your fight or flight reactions to be set off and that sort of thing. Or you could have one that just kind of goes off a little bit less or goes off like just not all the time, but sometimes, right? And you can actually increase the fear that you feel by thinking certain thoughts. So um, I guess in terms of like brain chemistry or, or the structure of the brain, there's different, um, there's different structures. I actually don't talk about this too much in the book because I, you know, you kind of got to pick your battles. Um, but there's different structures in the brain that kind of lead uh, lend themselves or kind of make us more susceptible to looping thinking or obsessive thinking, that sort of thing. Um, there's a really good book 
called Change Your Brain, Change Your Life by Daniel Amen. And he talks about this more. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to do like the higher level stuff rather than the brain, brain chemistry or brain makeup. Um, so I, I didn't talk about this too much in my book, but it's great in, in his book if, if anybody wants to go uh, listen to it or take a read. Um, basically, there's different structures in the brains that make us more susceptible to overthinking things. So, you know, for example, if, if you're walking down the street and you, you know, some idea pops into your head or, um, you know, the emotional part of your brain starts going haywire and, um, and you have a really, like, you know, you have a mind that isn't, isn't prone to overthinking, isn't prone to obsessiveness, you may be able to say, hey, you know, I'm, I feel that fear, but I'm not worried about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to let it pass. Um, and then, you know, someone who has a brain that is a little bit more obsessive or tends to, you know, uh, the, the structure of the brain lends itself to more ruminating, more overthinking, you can actually dial up that fear as you think about it and dwell on it more. Um, so that's, I think that's kind of where it comes from. Now, I will say that, uh, you know, our, our biology is not our destiny, so to speak. So the reason I wrote the book is, you know, I, I didn't want it to be that people felt as though, you know, you're born with a specific um, brain structure, brain chemistry, or, you know, I didn't want people to think that they're born a certain, certain way and that's kind of how it is. I wanted them to know that, you know, if you change the way you think, if you participate, uh, if you take part in the strategies that I lay out in the book and you, um, you know, you take, uh, you practice meditation and some of the other things um, that I talk about in my work, you know, you can actually start to change the structure of your brain. You can start to change, um, you can put, you know, there's, there's one author that I reference in the book that basically says, you know, as you, as you use your cognitive mind, as you, as you think more disciplined and, you know, guard yourself from negative thoughts and start to think about more positive thoughts, you can actually basically like put a break on the emotional part of your brain. So it's kind of this, the battle between, you know, the uh, rational and the emotional part of the brain, like the, the, you can, you can win the battle as long as you're disciplined in your thinking. And there's a, you know, I talk a a lot about it in the book. It's basically <laughs> the whole book. Um, but yeah, that, that's where I think it's, that's where I think it comes from. And then, you know, some of the strategies I talk in the book, uh, talk about in the book, show how we can overcome the biology that we're given, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, we met at a car dealership and, you know, I, I don't believe that, that there are accidents that things are supposed to happen. And, you know, we talk about Steve Jobs, or you never know where the dots in your life are going to connect, and that little yeah, dot led was, to this moment. A, We're doing a podcast that was a, about your book, a, uh, and, and I've read your good, book, you know, parts of your book. Um, didn't finish it, but I got through a good chunk of it. And, uh, yeah, so I know, I mean, one of the first topics we struck on was, I think, spirituality. And, you know, here you are saying right now that, it seems like uh, the, the intangible. I found that, that I can, in this day where there's such skepticism about spirituality, I can address it yep. better by talking about the intangible because people can't deny the intangibles. So the intangible aspect seems to me is where you've found that that's kind of the answer to this, this emotional, biological thing. Can you explain that a little yes, bit more? Well, you, you, you just said that there's, um, you mentioned meditation, you mentioned um, that we can overcome 
just because you you inherit this biological disposition, it can be overcome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, yeah. And so, matters. but the um, methods you're using it aren't uh, they aren't necessarily common therapeutic, you know, by, by going to a psychologist and or medications. That it's you're going to go somewhere that's more intangible, the spirit. Okay, so I mean. How did you, you know, <laughs> I've, I've done enough focusing all my life on, you know, when, I, when you get a destiny like mine, you know, you get, you get a disease that takes out 95 out of 100 people and you're spared. Yeah. You have to start, you have to be, to me, you'd have to be numb and totally asleep not to start to ask questions, why me? Why am I the survivor? And so, and and at the age of 13, I was really cut apart from the tribe. I realized then I was different. I couldn't keep up with the kids. You know, I was extremely athletic. They would go and do things that I couldn't do, play games that I couldn't do. So I had to learn how to adapt to that, which I did, and then actually got involved in all of those things again. only got involved, but excelled. but wow. I had to draw on strengths. I had to learn to reprogram everything, like like the like the analogy of the blind person. I had to be reborn as a kid that yep. had one leg, not two. Right. Makes and sense. how to deal. And it was those lessons that I learned. I mean, the first thing that I asked the surgeon was, would I be able to ride a bike again? And he said, no, it would be impossible. And three months later, I drove it into his office. And he was furious. Wow. That's awesome. Because, because a 13-year-old kid showed up a 55-year-old, world-renowned, Harvard-trained, mass general surgeon. And, and at that time, I didn't even have examples of what, that that was possible. First of all, back in the, the 60s, bicycles were toys, period. At the age of 12, you put the toy away and you rode the, either the mass transportation or you used to get in your parents' car, you walked, but you didn't get on that toy anymore. The toy represent, represented childhood. There were no mountain bikes. There were no bike racks. There were no bike trails. There were no, there was, yep. Some people had 10 speeds, but they were dedicated racers and they were rare. So I had to jump into the void and find the resources within myself to do what had never been done before. And so, I, you know, I don't, you know, that's why I think I had trouble with the part of it. I mean, I confronted fear my whole life. I was, every day was living in fear, real, real fl- fight or flight stuff. Yeah. So there wasn't much time to start imagining things that might happen to me. <laughs> they were happening. Uh, so I, I guess that's why I have trouble. But what I guess the questions I want to ask, now that you've done this, you've, you've got a book in you that you've done, you've gone through, you've figured out all this stuff. Along the way, did you find, and this is what I was looking for with this self-discovery, did you find a part of yourself okay. that that you're curious about that isn't tangible, that isn't brain, that isn't body? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, 
we may use different terms, that sort of thing. But I, you know, it's, it's always interesting to think about like where your drive comes from and your spirit and, you know, being, um, I guess the days that you're feeling good and the days that you're feeling bad, like, you know, where does that come from? Uh, when people say like person was in good spirits, that sort of thing, it, it definitely writing the book and kind of like, you know, it's, I think going down when you talk about anxiety, when you talk about mental health, there's definitely like, there's a point that you can get to where it's like, okay, this is helpful information. And I, you know, people can take this and, and they can be, they can help themselves with it. But there's also a rabbit hole to it where if you want to, you can just keep going further and further down. And I think a lot of times, you know, that can be kind of unhealthy if you continue to ask questions, it, you know, there's, there's balance. It's like you want to ask questions to find answers, but if you continually question everything in your life, then, you know, um, I think that usually <laughs> leads to, uh, more harm than it does good. So, you know, just kind of, I, I think in, you know, in terms of ant- intangible, just trying to, you know, continue to figure out like what motivates me and um, you know, what, what keeps my spirits high and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, by the way, I can hear my phone starting to uh, tell me the battery is getting low. So if it, by some freak, thing happening we lose each other i'm going to try to call back in on another phone uh and pick it up again but if i do lose you we'll just we'll we will continue this podcast at another time because it's fascinating i think what i've learned along the way in in what to me is a central element of reading the book and i had parts of me were like wow this is very um very well thought out and very well uh, there's some great exercises, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I guess where I got to the, and, and am at this point in my life, I started to discover is a lot of, when you listen to a lot of great spiritual teachers, they all has evolved to a point where they start to understand that it's really not us driving the bus, the us, the ego. Okay. It's not us. There's, there's something else driving us and pushing us and creating a destiny for us that we don't even understand. And, and and sadly, I mean, you and I both have read the um, Outwitting the Devil, and I started to come to that realization yep. myself that only about two percent of the population is awake. Yeah, the rest are bogged down in kind of the stuff that you're talking about, you know, fear, anxiety, um, imagining, and not a lot of people are in the present. And those are oh, not those all. are all yeah. intangible disciplines. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, that's uh, I don't know if you got to the chapter, but I do have a chapter on you know getting back to the present moment. And there's there's millions of books on it. I mean, uh, Eckhart Tolle and uh, all sorts of people. I mean, that's you know that's the the goal of meditation is kind of getting back into the present moment. But so much of us, you know, I do I find myself doing it all the time. Is you you know you start thinking about the past or worrying about the future and you know, you can go days and realize that you're not being present at all, so. Yeah, and, and what you, well, I mean, what, one of the things about outwitting the devil is, and I started to to say to myself, just what you repeated a little earlier about where do these thoughts come from? Where do these moods come from? Where are they? That it's not us. It's like this, yes, you know, when I still want to, I don't get them so often, but I remember the times when I would, I evolved to the point when I would get these, all these negative thoughts all day long and started to say to myself, wait a minute, who invited this into my head? Yep. 
Yeah. And, I mean, because uh, we don't wake up and say, oh, I think I'll think of a bunch of them. Right. Definitely. And, uh, and, so, and I think one of the – go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. So one, one thing, I mean, I talk about it in, in one of the chapters on meditation in the book is basically that I think there's like – you know, there's all sort – there's all different schools of thoughts around – you know, what our thoughts mean, what our dreams mean, like all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not saying that my interpretation is the right way, but what I found helps me is, you know, to not, if, if a thought pops in your head that's negative or a thought that pops in your head that is fear-based or, you know, something that you don't want. Like I used to always, when I was in high school and I was in college, every, I, I felt like every thought was like destiny, you know, and it was like, oh, that came to me for a reason. I need to think it through. I need to like cut it up, rationalize it, all that sort of stuff. What I have found for myself is that when I do that, I end up in just an agony like that. It never works. So what I have, you know, the, I talk about developing a disciplined mind in the book and, and what that is, is basically like, you know, it's kind of, it goes hand in hand with meditation is basically being able to develop the practice or develop the ability to sit with yourself or, or even just be with yourself, you know, even if you're working or, you know, walking around, whatever it is, just to be able to have the awareness to say, Hey, a, a thought just popped into my head that made me feel bad. Just because it popped into my head doesn't mean I need to do anything with it. So it's this practice of being able to look at your thoughts kind of in like a, in a removed way and say, that's a negative thought. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. I have the ability to just let it go and just not think about it ever again. And for me, ah, this is that, just came to the point. Thank you. That's all. That's where I was. I think that's what what I learned to do most importantly in my life. And that's really the answer to all of this, isn't it? What you just said, three yeah, little words. It really, let it really it is. Go. Yeah, it really is. You know, <laughs> and so if you were to sum up your book, I mean, I think that, you you know, you tell the reader that, you know, now the listener, that what you really want to do, and there may be a million pathways to get to it, but what you really want to get to, folks, is the feeling of letting it all go, that you are not in total control, and letting yeah, the process absolutely. happen, enjoying the ride, and surrendering to much of it. 100%. And it's when you, yeah. it's the old adage, what, what you resist persists. Yeah, that's, uh, so that is, that, that's a, that's, I actually, you know, use that same quote in the book and um, I was trying to find it real quick. I, um, I, I don't know the exact page that it's on, but I, I do have, you know, a paragraph in the book that basically says, that if you take nothing else away from my book, take away the fact that, you know, your interpretation and your ability to let your negative thoughts go is the most important thing that you can personally do in regard to how your anxiety affects you. Now, of course, there's, there's you know, you, you could take uh, medication or things like that, but I, I, I kind of look at those as like those, the, those are the medications acting on you versus if you – as a person are to do any one thing, it's to know that fighting against your negative thoughts and your anxiety only makes it worse. Exactly. 
and it's that letting go, letting go of your ego, letting go, letting understand that there's something guiding, there's some force. There's, I mean, this is, you know, I just watched the Joseph Campbell lectures on Netflix with Bill Moyers, the interviews, and you know, he talks about the hero's journey, and the the book was what influenced Luke Lucas to write Star Wars, and when he says at the end. And he talks about it. He says, "Why do you, he says to Bill Moyers, why do you think the audience goes nuts at the end when Obi-Wan is telling Luke, Luke, let go. Luke, feel the force. He says, because deep down, we know that's the truth, that there is a force, yep. an invisible force that is driving this whole thing. And when you align yes, yourself to that, up. not your ego, your fear-based ego, that's when you're most powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's in my, like, you know, everybody has their own spin on things, right? And that's my branding of that is get out of your head. You know, it's like the head is kind of the point exactly. where... Exactly, exactly. And so all of this stuff lives. about the brain and how the brain's working and the synapses and this and that, which brain is it, da 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 it's it's it gets to the point where we're, what we're talking about now is in fact I found the best technique is one because I don't have them much anymore they're rare you know the if some I start to get afraid I go yeah oh really interesting I've got fear going so let me really get into this let me feel fear in its deepest sense come on read it to me. And when you don't do that, rather than fighting it, <laughs> you get with it. It vanishes so damn fast. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And I mean, you know, I, I think everybody has a has a spin on the strategy that works for them, right? Like I, I have found that if I say like, "Come on, let's fear," like, "Show me who you are," that sort of thing, for me, that doesn't work. I actually need to just let. I need to not even think about it at all. Uh, otherwise, I start to rabbit hole. But it's the same process of not resisting, right? Right. Yeah, it's like, go ahead, you know, give me your best shot. You know, let me yeah. let me not be, and what it is is by really being present. Okay, this thought came to me at this point. I'm starting to get emotional reaction to it. Okay, I'll play the game. Let me really experience this thing because it's only a feeling. <laughs> yeah. And the feeling goes. It's transitory. They do, they do go. Just, it, Funny how, so, you know, in a conversation like this, all the, um, I mean, it's just, it's natural that all the things that I talk about and write about in the book come up is, you know, I have a chapter that um, it's one. So I've got this framework, which is called the 10 steps to getting out of your head, which I talked about quickly earlier. And one of them is just reminding yourself that this too shall pass, knowing that all fear, all feelings, it eventually, they, they go away eventually, you know, and the more that we resist them and the more that we fight them, the longer they stay around. So, you know, kind of just going off of the topic that we're talking about now is like, if you're able to either look at that fear and say, Hey, you know, show me what you got or just not resist it at all. Just say, Hey, you know, you're there. I don't care. Like, I'm not going to think about you right now. You actually get it to go away faster than you would otherwise. Yeah, well, again, like I would do that. It's like, why is this here? I got things to do. And we keep bang, bang, bang. It's like somebody knocking on the door. Bang, bang, bang. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. You're looking for attention? I'll give you some attention. Yep. And then you go, I'll go with yep. this. And then all of a sudden, 
it's gone. You know, again, it just may be my particular strategy, but that's what I found is the less I resist, the more I go, you know, okay, whatever. You're just a feeling. (laughs) You want to play a game? Yeah. Because you're just a and, and yeah, um, the same, you know, we're doing this, basically this different ways of, at arriving at the same means as being able to, you know, right. not resist. So, well, you know, I think what you've touched on and some of the things that we've talked before. I mean, I think we're seeing. You and I have talked about society, et cetera, and obviously your generation. You know, which, <clears throat> you know, uh, there's a lot. I mean, that we could we could do podcast after podcast of you know, yeah. what, what's happened to the, the culture and the generation and where we're going. But one of the things that I've been railing about with this stuff is that more and more people are getting away. People are becoming robotic. People aren't in touch with their film. They're not in touch with who they are. They don't understand who the real them is. They think it's all ego. And in fact, one of the things that Bill Moyers asks uh, Joseph Campbell, he says, so what's your message? He says, it's simple, follow your bliss. And he says, well, that's simple for you to say because you grew up in a, a high-income family. You went to the best schools. You taught at Salons. And he yep. interrupted the interviewer and he says, wait a minute. He says, I belong to systems my whole life that demanded I obey, that had a set of rules. But I decided to live my life as a maverick. I never submitted and he says, and I will tell you this right now. So then they show the scene of Darth Vader trying to tempt Luke to come to the dark side. And he says, do you yep. see Darth Vader? He represents, he represents the ego. He represents the intellect. He represents evil. Because the intellect and the ego cut themselves off from the heart and the soul. And yep. I'm telling you right now, if you want to any system that cuts you off from your heart and your soul, you are headed for a schizophrenic crack-up. And to interpolate what he did, and I want to say, present a case, let me present the United States of America today, a schizophrenic <laughs> crack Oh, man. And yeah, so... No, no, definitely, definitely uh, there's, there's certainly a lot of parts of that that I believe and subscribe to. Yeah, and I think what we're seeing, I mean, especially I see see it every day here in South Boston is this robotic, isolated thing, and it has serious ramifications. And that my cousin is doing this funny thing, this like car karaoke thing with his 99-year-old mother and his, her 92-year-old girlfriend. He takes them to get their hair done every week, and then um, he decided to put his phone on the dashboard, and he films them, and he's kind of created this thing. And... And it's become so popular. It's just a silly little thing. It's only about three minutes long, and they sing songs, etc. But he's got it's got such popularity right now. It's he's got six thousand views okay. a week. So that the mayor of Newton is been on it. The police chief, the fire chief. So he asked the police chief, "What's up?" And he says, "Well, you know, Carl. He says we have." Smaller families with more vehicles, so we have too many cars on the road. Big problem for the police. And it was during Christmas week. He says, we had three opioid deaths this week in Newton. And he says, you know what we're noticing, Carl, is a huge increase in mental illness. Now, this is Newton, where probably the average family median income is about 
$300,000 at least. This yep. is not Lawrence or Lowell or Dorchester or whatever. This is high-class America going through a it schizophrenic yep. crack. And so your book you know, has, um, can have major impact on a lot of people if it takes them out of this, but there's a serious problem with everybody in their heads. A book, Get Out of Your Head, is it's extremely timely. So, you know, that, uh, you brought up a lot of good points, and, and just to the last one was that was one of the reasons that I decided to really go through with it was, you know, I think you get – when you go to do anything that shows vulnerability, right, if you're putting out a book, writing a blog post, anything that kind of like talks about your feelings or your interests that, you know, may not necessarily be ones that everybody – is interested in or stuff like that, you know, you get a little nervous just in terms of putting yourself out there. And one thing that I think helps push you is, is knowing the fact that you can like, you can make an impact on people and, and to be able to turn that and say, who am I to not put this book out there? Who am I to not help those people that I think I can help? It, it helps you kind of get over that, um, that fear of, you know, feeling like you're going to be judged or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, as I was going through my research and writing the book and whatnot, I mean, I think, I think there's some numbers out there. I, you know, I have to verify them, but I'm pretty sure that the, the age, the expected age um, of the population has uh, decreased for the last like two or three years because uh, drug overdoses, opioid overdoses are at an all time high. And I think some of that has to do with some of the things that you mentioned, you know, um, these are a lot of people and suicide is actually, pretty if it's not at an all-time high already it's close to it um i think a lot of this has you know a lot of a lot of these opioid deaths and suicides and whatnot i think a, a common a common thread amongst them or or one of the you know i guess i'll get to it is basically that it's usually like middle-aged white males are the ones that are most susceptible to this kind of thing and i think um you know we could make kind of different um post- postulations around uh you know why this is happening and whatnot. But my, my hunch would be just the fact that, um, you know, middle-aged men or, you know, people who work really hard and are kind of removed from, you know, they're taught to be a certain way and society tells them to do certain things and, um, you know, probably working more than they want to, probably working on things that they're not that passionate about, probably in their heads, you know, not connected to their, their passions and their hearts and that sort of thing. And um, not finding a lot of meaning and purpose in life. I think that, that would be my guess is that there's a common thread there. Um, and it's definitely, yeah, like it, these problems are not isolated to low income areas. There's, you know, a lot of, a lot of these issues are actually, you know, kind of affluent issues. So, um, kind of, you know, I come from a, um, a family that was able to afford some nice things, uh, grew up in Linfield, Mass. And, um, I, you know, I felt like, you know, we weren't the richest family in the world, but it was like, you know, coming from a background where we, I was able to go to a, you know, a nice private college. It's like, I want to be able to speak to some of these issues because I think that I, you know, I can relate to the, the people going through those struggles. And, and like you said, it's not just the people in, um, you know, poor sections of towns and cities that are, are going through this stuff. Well, you know, <laughs> I guess you kind of inadvertently went where I wanted to about what did you learn okay. along the way when you wrote this book? And what I just heard is you, you maybe I'm misinterpreting wrong, but I heard you kind of found a higher purpose. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely. 
There's you know, and that's what about that. the self-discovery does. You start to say, wait a minute, I just don't, I'm not an individual here to go t- to get a job, make money, and die. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, There's more to this that, right? you know, talk about, well, you did talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yep. Yeah, in the book, but I guess, you know, kind of abstracting that out and, you know, when you right, say... Right, but I mean, but regardless, it, it isn't just about feeding yourself or procreating yourself or whatever. No. There's a, as you, get, you start to understand, there are intangible goals. There are intangible achievements that give meaning to your life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you get to the point where um, there's different things in life that can put you in a mind, mindset or a mind state that kind of push you in that direction. But, you know, you work a job that you don't like for a long enough time. And this is uh, a specific chapter in the book. Um, let me think. I think it's called Looking for the Sources is the, the name of the chapter is, you know, if you sit at a cubicle for long enough and you hate that job, your, your, your fight or flight reactions will eventually kick up. Even if it's like not necessarily like a panic attack, you will have this kind of low level fear of being like, I'm wasting my life. What am I doing here? You sit in that situation long enough and you will be able to, you know, say to yourself, Hey, you know, I don't like this. I find no meaning in this. I have no passion for it. There's no purpose. And you can start to kind of peel away the layers of the onion and figure out what, what is that actual purpose you want to go out and either discover or make happen and, uh, and really drive toward that. So that was kind of how, you know, in my life, how I kind of came about that. But, you know, you get older, you realize that the amount of time on earth is, is limited. And, you know, like you said, you don't want to just eat and sleep and die. You want to, you know, try to, try to give back, try to make an impact, that sort of thing. So. Well, you know, that's, um, again, Steve Jobs, I think he started his uh, lecture at uh, Stanford, his commencement address. My time is limited. And that's what happened to me. I got found out every day worked in radiology and, and uh, medicine, and doctor saw me limping. And I'd tell him I had osteo. I wouldn't get the word out and it'd say wrong if you had it. Misdiagnosis, if you had that, you'd be dead. And every day somebody woke me up and said, I'm lucky to be alive. So what do I do at this time? But see, that's that yeah. thing that I'm, that intangible I'm talking to, that sitting in the cubicle and everything else is what you've been programmed to do. You see, and it's supposed to be okay, and everybody around you is telling you, well, think of the money, think of this, think of your position, think of it. But there's a piece of you, an intangible part of you that's screaming, no, I didn't come here for this. Absolutely. And that intangible part's going to get you out of there. I've heard the story over, over and over again. And that's when your destiny unfolds. But most people are in total denial. So what they're doing is they're taking to drugs, they're taking to suicide, da 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 da. And like Campbell said, you know, to me, I can the the, the disease that's affecting America, in my opinion, is a simple diagnosis. America has lost its heart. It's a good way of putting it. It def it definitely is. So rather, you're absolutely right. It's time to get out of your head and into your heart and into your soul because that's where the true meaning is. That's where the things, the intangibles are that nobody's paying attention to. That's where love is. That's where forgiveness is. That's where generosity yeah. is, charity. That's where selflessness is. That's where meaning is. 
you know, not in how much am I making, you know, how many how many likes do I have on Facebook today? <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, uh, so, you know, kudos to you. You've, I think you, what you've done with this book is, is huge, not only for society and the people, the readers, the people suffering from this, but I think it will open an awareness. And I think it's certainly maybe refined some of the things that you were anxious about in a in a healthy way about gee you know how do we you know how how can i help people not go experience life through fear and anxiety yeah yeah and it definitely you know if it, if it doesn't i guess you know when we started to call you it said like self-discovery and whatnot i think i've done a better job answering that question talking about the other questions you've asked um but you know in in the process you definitely refine the material and you definitely start to put it all together, draw some conclusions. And I think the end goal of that is just to be able to, you know, share that with other people. And like you said, kind of connect back to, you know, what you're passionate about or, or what's meaningful for you and then share that with other, uh, with your readers and try to make an impact. So. And I think you'll see, do you plan more books in the future? We'll see. Um, right now I would, I don't have one in the pipeline. Um, but I, I kind of, you know, my creative side is always going, I've worked on a bunch of different projects over the years. Um, so I, I don't know, like, I, I think ideally I would write another one or a couple more, but it's one of those things that I'd like to make sure I have like the creative spark for it. Like, I don't, I don't just sit in a room and say like, Oh, like I, you know, should I write a book? What could it be about? Like in my mind, I kind of just live my life. And then like, you know, kind of like with this one where I said, um, writing this book I fell backward into. It was like I it it hit me in the face that I needed to write this book. Whereas like well, I hope that that's, you know down, Well that you know forgive me again for being jaded, but that's what I'm because that's what I've discovered. I see it not only in my life and everybody else, there's an invisible there's an unseen force always at your always back uh trying to bring you to that higher place. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways that it calls you and it's like, you just gotta, gotta be willing to pick up the phone sometimes. <laughs> As we just did. I love your analogy. We got about <laughs> 90 seconds left, less. Uh, I can't believe okay. we wound this up so perfectly. Actually I can. It was a, I hope you enjoyed it. I had a blast. That everybody listening can take away some, a couple good points from it and uh, you know definitely re- recommend that people check out the book on Amazon if they can and the uh, the audio book coming out in probably a month maybe maybe a month and a half so the audio book will be huge for you because a lot of times I, mean, I just love it I love audible I love it. I can have it on my phone and listen while I'm driving and you know whatever spare time I can get I don't have to be you know dedicated to you know just sitting so so, well, congratulations. Yeah, I, I think Thank the book will, it, it is a success. You did it. I mean, that's success in and of itself. Most people don't ever do that. And whatever will happen sure. will happen. But um, let's hope it has the impact that you intended. And uh, anytime you want to jump on and do this again and talk more about it, it would be great. Sounds great. I appreciate it, Tom. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll follow up with you after this. And, um, yeah, we'll have to do it again sometime. All right, Brian Sanchez. I always want to say Sanchez, but it's such such. <laughs>
And the book is, go ahead, Get Out of Get Out of Your Head, I'll let you say Toolkit it. for Living with and Overcoming Anxiety. And it's uh, available Great. on Amazon and, and iBooks. And then, like I said, in a month or two, it'll be available on Audible as well. So, Congratulations. Thanks so much for jumping on board today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tom. Talk to you soon. All right. Peace. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks, guys, yep. for listening in, and I think you uh, got a lot of out of that. I did. All right. Till the next time, this is Upbeat with Tom Hayes. And let me see if I can get out of here by playing some music, see if I've at least still got that skill. Yeah, I like this one. Um, I think it's appropriate. Al Greens, let's, let's, let's stay together. Let's stay together, America. <laughs> Take care. Thanks so much.